We're recording this at 2 o'clock on the 2nd of March 2019, but everything we said is already wrong by the time we say it. Welcome to the Battle of Alberta podcast, the show that almost has as many episodes as Austin Matthews has years in his contract. I'm Stuart Jones, and with me is Darren Plett. Hi, I'm Darren Plett. He is indeed. So Darren, before we get started, why don't we talk a little bit about the Austin Matthews signing? Yeah, signing. Resigning, Resigning. Uh, before we kind of delve into our own two teams, because I feel like a contract like that is obviously has impacts across the league. Uh, what all did you think of the deal? Well, I think we're also obligated to talk about it because there's probably a Toronto media mob. And if you put out anything, even if you're the small time podcast in Alberta and you don't mention Toronto, they might come for you. So we're definitely not being extorted for this. Yeah, we've, we definitely have not received threats for not bringing up Toronto in our first three episodes. So <laughs> so Austin Matthews has a five-year contract worth $11.6 million per year. That's the cap hit of it anyway. It's a little bit unusual because generally when you have a young player as good as Matthews, you want to lock him up for as long as humanly possible, which in the NHL happens to be eight years. So the fact that it's five is a little bit unique. I think it's perfectly fine though because from my point of view what the Leafs are trying to do is get their young players together under the cap and keep them for as long as they can. Austin Matthews signed. He'll be there. Uh, I believe Marner has yet to sign his but he's also a year behind Matthews. Tavares signed a huge cap hit. There's a lot of big numbers on that team. A lot of big money numbers and they have to find a way to fit them all under the cap and that's basically what this is is them finding a way to get Matthews under the cap to keep him with this core that they've built and to do it without dragging it on for who knows how long because you don't want your star player sitting there griping about his contract so they got it done there's no chance of him being offer sheeted this summer which means another team would come over and send him a deal because he wasn't signed the Leafs dodged that bullet we're looking at you Arizona Arizona because Matthews is from Arizona that is what I was thinking one of seven people born there yeah so. <laughs> on the face of the sun I think it was a smart move by Toronto it was kind of a I wouldn't call it a panic move but it's we need to get this guy signed we're gonna do it basically however we can it ended up being five years at 11.6 million they said great we can do that sign him up so they avoided a lot of conflict with that and I think that's probably good considering what they'll have to face for the rest of signing these young guys that they have yeah totally agreed it's uh, definitely a much shorter contract than you would expect for that sort of player obviously the direct comparison especially for this podcast would be Connor McDavid who is uh, about 12.5 per year over eight years so again the money is not much different but that term is what i found very interesting kind of the closest comparison i could find for that sizable amount of money but a smaller term was actually Nylander so another leaf because he's getting about 10.3 over six years so again it's definitely seems to be their strategy of well okay if we bring down the term then we can keep them within cap range or something to that effect but uh yeah interesting that he's only signed for five years the highest average annual cap hit for a five-year contract prior to him is bufflin at 7.6 million so i thought that's pretty interesting you don't have anyone over anywhere near 10 million for five-year contracts yeah, up those, until now those types of contracts 
contracts seem pretty rare. They might pick up as we get these really high-end players that are grouping on one team. I think if Calgary had to sign all their players this year, which they don't because they're a little bit older, but if they had to sign up like Gaudreau, Monaghan, Kachuk all in one year, they'd have to do something similar where they Mm -hmm. give them less years so they can keep the money down. So that's kind of what Toronto's facing. I don't think they have a whole lot of options besides to do what they can to get those guys under the cap because they have a lot of really young guys who are really good to me they're just they're just doing whatever they can yeah totally agree and uh and yeah i i agree that i think this is gonna kind of start to become a bit more of a trend you'll see a lot more of these types of contracts as players and owners try to create a well-balanced team a non-edmonton oilers if you will (laughs) ouch oh Oh, good. The uh, the Toronto thugs with uh, trench coats have left the apartment, so we can talk about the Flames and Oilers now, right? Perfect. Yes, absolutely we can. Let's start with our scorecard. So our scorecard is basically what we take a look at the predictions we made last episode on how our teams were going to do for the month preceding this episode. Does that sentence make any sense at all? Yep, that was English, I think. Perfect. All right, so last month, since February 4th up to and not including today, the Oilers had 12 games. Uh, I predicted they'd win five of them. You predicted they'd win four of them. They went four, six, and two. Oh, yeah. So you were bang on. So yeah, four, six, and two. They're now seven points out of the playoff race. It was only two or three last time we spoke. And according to sportsclubstats.com, the Oilers now have only 1.4% chance of making the playoffs this year, which is still pretty high if you ask me. Yeah, that's what I'd peg them at at the beginning of the season personally as well. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. That's a, that's a bit extreme, <laughs> but uh, by the way, for anyone who's interested in sports and stats and numbers, Sports Club Clubstats.com is phenomenally interesting to take a look at, so highly recommend it. We'll uh, put a link in the show notes. The Flames, they had 11 games in the month of February. Uh, You had thought they might win eight. I thought they might win seven. They went seven, two, and two. Oh, I was so close to the sweep. I was bang on. Well, I was also so close to the sweep. We were both one game off on the other team. No, it was me. It was all me. I all should right. put down this clicky pen because that seems like it'll be very distracting to me. So anyway, yeah, 7-2-2, two, and two, and actually the seven wins from those 11 games were their last seven games. They're still currently on a seven-game winning streak. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. So obviously no putting out of their fire. So let's get into it in a bit more detail. Uh, what did you think of the Flames this past month? Well, I'm going to actually start off with something that's happening today, March 2nd. I guess we won't really get to cover it because it's happening in the future, but it'll be in the past when this episode comes out. But Jerome McKinla is getting his retirement ceremony tonight at the Saddle Dome. And by Jerome McKinla, I mean, of course, Jerome, Arthur Lay, Atacunle, Tig Jr., Elvis Aginla. That's his full name. I definitely didn't write that down. Had it all from memory. Now it's written down. He was actually born in Edmonton, for those of you who didn't know that. Yeah, shut up. And he played 16 years in Calgary, so he really fits the theme of this podcast. Yep. Kind of a traitor. I don't know how many... Do you you Edmonton folks think of him as like a... Well, I guess he's not a traitor because he got traded to Calgary. There's not much he can do about that, but he's kind of the face of Calgary. Do you ever think about that, that he's from Edmonton and... Uh, I'm probably a bad example. (laughs) 
but I I think he's a great player for Alberta in general. He's just been a great person to showcase the sport and a great spirit. And, you know, when he played for Team Canada, I didn't consider him a flame personally. Obviously, he was, but maybe I'm the bad example, though. Just, people just probably great, hate him. Just a great Alberta Canadian player. He's too likable, I think, to for anyone to really hate his guts. Yeah, I would think so, but it'll be interesting to hear some feedback on yeah, that. No kidding. But he has a much-deserved jersey retirement tonight. Number 12 will be going to the rafters in the Saddle Dome, so no big surprise there. As for the Flames over the last month, we've kind of seen a shift in how they've played. As Stu mentioned, they're on a seven-game win streak, and the Flames, before the All-Star break, were the high-scoring, high-flying team. They were among the league leaders in goals, but the last seven games they have not been winning on the strength of scoring tons of goals as a matter of fact in their last seven games or pardon me in their last six games they've only allowed eight goals against that's it most games have ended up two to one it kind of feels like we're back in Jerome McGinley's era where that's how they won every game they haven't been allowing many goals they haven't been scoring much either but it's been fine because their defense has been stellar. As for their goaltending, in the last seven games, Mike Smith is 5-0-0 with a 9.28 save percentage, and Big Save Dave is 2-0-0 with a 9.53 save percentage. So there's a lot of belly aching about the Flames' goaltending, partially coming from me and hating on Mike Smith. I'll own up to that, but... They have turned it around fantastically, and both guys have been great going down the stretch. But you can also attribute that to the defense playing well in front of them, because you don't get that many one-goal games just from your goalie standing on your heads. you got to play good defensive hockey. So even though the scoring cooled off, defense wins championships, so it's totally fine. The top line is kind of meh. They're chipping in points here and there, but they're not as dominant as they were. Depth scoring is still a big thing for them right now, but honestly, overall, as we get closer to the playoffs, I think I like to see this more than the high-flying offense because this is the kind of hockey that will win you playoff games is shutting down the other team and grinding out wins with your with not necessarily your top-line guys getting all the points. This, this is really promising for me with solid goaltending, solid defense, and everyone contributing on offense. So that's been the Flames last month. Maybe not the most exciting hockey, but they're getting her done. All right, so the Oilers this past month have, uh, you know, been doing Oiler things, losing a lot of games, winning a couple. But uh, more interestingly, they've made a couple moves, which um, not, you know, earth-shaking, earth-shattering or anything like that, but big names as far as Oiler history goes. The first, obviously, being the Talbot trade, which was, you know, very easily seen through the tea leaves when Kostinen got signed for a three-year deal. But as much as the uh, trade was foreseen, uh, you know, it made sense and it really had to happen because of the cap space issue. They were bringing Sekera back from uh, IR. So yeah, it had to happen. Talbot had to go. They had to make room somewhere. But I'm just not a fan of how the Oilers bring in a goalie who's supposed to be the next big thing and then make his life miserable for three years and then send him packing with a much lower stat line than he had when he came in. And that's just the way it always has been and it seems for the foreseeable future the way it always will be. Talbot, for example, prior to his three-year, we also signed him to a three-year deal, but prior to that deal, 
he had 941, 926, and 917 save percentage. Then in his three-year deal, all with Edmonton, he had 919, 908, and then more recently this year, dropped to an 893. So obviously, okay, he's not that great this year. We should dump him. You know, that was half a season. Yeah, you want your goalie to be great all the time, but that's not going to happen, especially when you have bad, bad defense. So to blame everything on Talbot and say, well, we got to get rid of him and try the next, next big thing doesn't make a ton of sense. And then Koskinen... I've got nothing against the guy. I think he'll be a good goalie. I think he'll be a great next big thing for the next three years till we get rid of him. (laughs) (laughs) But he had like an 8-7-3 from several years back for the only four games or so he played in the NHL. And then he's had a 9-0-8 so far this year with the Oilers. So he's already less proven than Talbot, but we're actually paying him more on this three-year deal than we gave Talbot on his three-year deal. Again, as much as we had to get rid of Talbot, uh, as much as we needed cap room, we needed to move on, try something else, I thought the amount that we're paying Koskinen to try him out seemed like a bit much, in my opinion. What did you think about the two-game suspension the NHL gave to Connor McDavid? That was a pretty big talking point over the last couple weeks. Yeah, I think... And maybe, again, I'm not the best person to ask because, well, I I definitely have biases. There's no question about it. But he broke a rule. (laughs) He hit a guy's head. And everything, like, you know, I watched the hit several times from several angles at several different speeds because that's what the sports is these days. Uh, I watched the player safety video explaining everything, and I totally agree. He hit the guy's head. Uh, It may not have been deliberate or super intentional, but he could have avoided it, and he didn't, and he hit the guy's head. So, and, you know, he doesn't have a history. It didn't seem super deliberate, so you get two games. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think it would have done much more damage overall if the NHL would have ignored it because he's such a superstar. So I think it's good that they set a precedent with someone like him. I don't think he's going to be a repeat offender or do that very often. But I think it's good that they said, hey, even if you're a superstar, you can't do that. It's a headshot. So I'm glad that they took a stance and... uh, Everyone that's getting upset about it, mostly they're getting upset because of some of the hits that have been thrown on McDavid this year. Mm-hmm. And I can kind of see that. There there have been some good points, but that doesn't mean you can just ignore this one. Yeah, totally agree. I think um, after the suspension, I saw plenty of people on Twitter pointing out every single little hit from other people that weren't getting suspensions. And I totally agree. The NHL is not perfect on executing these all around and even but just because they didn't give a suspension to someone who did deserve it doesn't mean they should not give a suspension to someone else who does deserve it you know i'd rather they miss a couple than ignore them all because that's really going to make a problem so the more of these that they continue to call on even the superstars and then they'll start to you know get some of those other ones that they're missing the more the game is going to change for the better some people might disagree with me there more the game's going to change for the better and the more the more consistent the nhl will become in enforcing this kind of stuff so i didn't have any problem with the suspension 
And I frankly didn't have any problem with how the Oilers played without McDavid for, you know, those two games. They, I don't think they won either of them, but they put in a valiant effort and, you know, it, it kind of sparked them a little bit uh, to have to deal without their captain, without their superstar. So I thought that was an interesting dynamic to mix up into the Oilers month. But interestingly... I noticed that spark kind of left the game McDavid got back, which was actually in his hometown, which is Toronto. Um, and the Oilers kind of got lambasted on TSN radio for the poor effort they put out in Toronto. Uh, specifically, some of the hosts on the TSN radio were giving it to the Oilers, saying they looked like they expect to lose, and McDavid, McDavid was awful at home where he should want to play and where the fans specifically have come to watch him. What do you think about that? Yeah, I totally see that because that is the Oilers that I see much more often <laughs> than Toronto media sees. What I found interesting was the Oilers played a really good first period. I think they outplayed the Leafs for the majority of the first period. With two minutes left, they were up one nothing and had outshot the Leafs 13-6. to so that sounds like a pretty good period to me. That sounds positively on Oilers' ask right there. Exactly. <laughs> At that point, Koskinen loses sight of a kind of wobbly puck. Let's Marlowe get a little bit of a greasy goal and like completely loses all confidence going into the second intermission, going into the first intermission. And then he comes out in the second period, gives up three more goals in less than five minutes and only six shots because... I don't know what happened, but as he went into that first intermission, he's just like, oh my goodness, how could I let us lose this lead? We have, you know, we're playing a hard team and I've really hurt ourselves here. I don't know what. But then he comes out and just really craps the bed at that point. So you think it was Koskinen? Like the goals were mostly on him? I would say mostly. I think there was a confidence issue there. I think there was something going wrong there. But it's definitely not all Koskinen's fault, right? He gets pulled... Stallers is okay. Uh, he gets he saves about 18 out of the next 20 for the last half of the game. But when the Oilers are down 4-1 to one at that point, the Oilers are lost. They've lost the game. They know yeah. that. They think there's no way of coming back. And so that's where Toronto media is talking about. From that point on, I, I can totally agree with what they're saying because I've seen that in the Oilers way too much over the past... 30 years of my life. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Watching the Oilers know that they're not going to win and and not even try to look like they're trying to win. So I totally agree with everything they've said as long as what they're saying, and I believe it is, is reflecting from that kind of later half of the game. All right, let's move on to our sellies and scorn for this episode. This is the part where we kind of pick apart a couple things where we really want to celebrate and a couple things where we just, just don't, don't like it at all. So uh, you want to get started this week? You betcha. I'm going for my selly first this time. Uh, so John Tavares made his return to New York. Toronto played the New York Islanders in the old Nassau Nassau? Nassau Coliseum, I believe it's called. That's the old arena the Islanders played in. They left to play in Brooklyn and they refurbished the Nassau Coliseum. Now, they don't still they don't use it as their home building yet. 
but they've been playing a few games in it this year. I don't understand how that all works, but it's a cool building, and it's kind of known for being basically a glorified junior hockey building because it's uh, it doesn't have like the old luxury or the luxury boxes in it. It's just like straight stands. Therefore, it's going to be loud. And we really heard it when Toronto came to town because Tavares left New York to sign with Toronto. And the thing is, the year preceding his UFA, his unrestricted free agency, he said, I don't worry. I'm not going to leave New York. I love it here. I love New York. Don't worry about it. And then it got closer to the trade deadline and he still hadn't signed. He said, don't worry about it. I promise I'll stay here. I love the Islanders. Why would I ever leave? So they kept him past the trade deadline. Still didn't resign him. He's like, you guys, New York's great. I can't i can't imagine leaving and then in the summer he left to toronto he didn't promise but he said i want to stick around in new york because i love it so much he didn't let the team acquire any assets for him their best player he just up and left to toronto in free agency as you can understand islanders fans are not happy so he made his very first return to long island and boy was it loud in that building here he comes He loses the face-off. The cheers erupt from the Islanders crowd here at Nassau Coliseum. And there will be no confusion when he touches the puck tonight as this play is blown down on an offside if you can hear the whistle. They had some really creative chants. They were absolutely spectacular. I'm not going to repeat some of them because I don't (laughs) think... I think I want to keep it family-friendly. But he was torn to shreds. And yes, this is a selly. I like this because Tavares kind of screwed over the Islanders and they're having a really great year this year. They didn't get any return for him leaving. He just up and left, left them high and dry. However, the Islanders are first in their division this year. So some of the chants were along the line of, we don't need you. And there were lots of jerseys where people had taped Trader onto the back and so many creative things. And nothing brings fans of a sport together like sheer hatred. And we've kind of spoken out on this podcast against bullying athletes, especially online. But to me, this isn't bullying because it wasn't personal. They weren't going after his family or anything in his personal life. They were saying, hey, you screwed us. You screwed the team. You screwed the fans when you left. And it was approximately 17,000 people just yelling at a dude on the ice. And it was loud. It was hilarious. The Islanders smoked the Maple Leafs, which is equally funny. Made his life miserable for the day. And as long as this doesn't escalate to online you know, targeting Tavares, which I'm sure it will because people are awful. But just looking at what happened in the arena the night that Tavares came back, I think it's a selly because it's really fun to see an atmosphere like that in a building. I'm sure everyone in there was having an absolute hoot. And it's good to see some life back in the Islanders club. Even if it comes through collectively hating somebody, I really like seeing that come back into Nassau Coliseum. It was it was a fun highlight package to watch, I'll tell you that much. Now For my scorn, NHL trade deadline was this week. Fun fact, the NHL still uses fax machines to process (laughs) trades. And I kind of forget about it sometimes, but I bring it up again because allegedly Calgary had a trade 
proposed at the very end of the trade deadline. This is how the trade deadline works. They, It's kind of like university students doing homework. They leave it till the very last second and then they scramble to get everything pushed through. And it's a fax queue of who knows how many pages long. I don't even know how, to fa- how a fax works. I'm 26. How am I supposed <laughs> to know how that works? So Calgary allegedly had a trade with Minnesota for Jason, that involved Jason Zucker and Michael Froelich and some other pieces. And apparently, Calgary GM Brad Living was, uh, quote, white hot that it didn't go through. I can't imagine why. The NHL is using fax machines, for goodness sakes. Like, have you guys heard of email? Or, like, I, maybe use a homing pigeon. I don't know. Fax machines seem like the least reliable method to do these transactions, which are people's lives. Like, they're transferring people. It's totally not slavery. Don't worry about it. <laughs> They're sending humans to different cities, and we're using fax machines to facilitate that. I I don't know. Maybe they have a perfectly good reason for it, but they haven't told me yet. So for now, it's a scorn. Get up to date, NHL. Fax machines are the thing of the past. My guess on to why fax machines are still being used for that is the uh, inability to... What's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> I'm not editing that. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely should. The inability to intercept that fax um, by outside parties. Uh, Like, I'm guessing it's a privacy and information sort of thing that they don't want any details leaking out prematurely and things like that. And faxes are actually better at one-to-one with no one else catching it in the middle. Okay, but screw your logic. I totally Since agree. <laughs> I don't know anything about fax machines. Is intercepting a fax? Would you have to like run down a line, like the piece of paper goes down a tube, right? And then you have to, we'd have to physically stop it. Yeah, yeah. It's the pneumatic tube. That's yeah, what those that's are. how I assume faxes work. I I wouldn't really know. Now I could be wrong. Some tech person's probably gonna be like, "Oh, a fax could actually be intercepted <laughs> quite easily with a buzzer." <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, point is, totally agree. That seems a bit ridiculous to yeah, me. Yeah, come on. All right, my Selly or my Scorn. <laughs> no, let's, yeah, let's start with the Scorn. Okay. But in order to start with the Scorn, I want to give you some context. I'm sure most people know what I'm talking about, but some context of which I'm celebrating some other individuals who are not technically my Selly. This sounds like a story. Not really. Okay. So the Carolina Hurricanes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see where this is going. Yeah. They have been doing some amazingly fun things after they win a hockey game, which is happening more so than, you know, one might expect for the Carolina Hurricanes. They are celebrating in fun ways. They're not just going to the ice, raising the sticks, the horn goes off, and then they leave. Whatever. Or if it's the Oilers, it's... Right, sure. I I wouldn't know. (laughs) It doesn't happen a lot. But what they're doing is like having lots of fun with their end of game celebrations when they win. They've done limbos contests with each other. They've done like knocking a baseball out of the park. Bowling. They've done team bowling. Oh, yeah. did you see the one last night? They I had did not. some famous boxer in. Oh yes, I did see. I don't a clip know who it was, that. but he he like fake. They had boxing gloves on him and Martinook, and he like fake punch Martinook and Martinook went down. It was great. It was really good. Yeah. And these are just fun things. The team wins. They're excited. They're having fun. Great. So 
props to them, but they're not my celly. My scorn for those who, you know, have been paying any attention at all is for Don Cherry. Don Cherry. Don Cherry, who called them a bunch of jerks. They're still not drawn. They're a bunch of jerks as far as I'm concerned. What a sour grapes that guy is, right? Don Cherry calls them a bunch of jerks. Bunch of jerks. He thinks it's a circus. He thinks it's like tarnishing the good old name of hockey because everyone knows that hockey is all about, you know, wearing your dinner jackets at the cigar club. <laughs> right, Don? <laughs> And, yeah, he's just so down on this and thinks that these people are terrible people and don't understand the spirit of hockey. Totally disagree. I think he doesn't understand the spirit of hockey, fun, or life. And... (laughs) Arch. (laughs) That escalated really quickly. I I thought I was holding back. (laughs) He's my scorn because the people who are down on the Hurricanes for this for making hockey a circus are the same people who think fighting in hockey is, you know, the best, most exciting part. Again, I'm not going to go into my spiel on that, but like that seems so counter to what we're talking about here to think that, oh, punching people in the face, that's totally hockey, that's gentlemanly, that's fun, that's well-intentioned, that's good-spirited, but doing a limbo contest when your team with your teammates because you had a good win and had a fun night playing a fun game that you love to play, that's poor. That's poor spirits. So that's my scorn. My celly is actually Gary Bettman. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah, okay, hang on. <laughs> I don't know if that's allowed. (laughs) Hear me out. I don't agree with everything he does or says, but he was talking about this, uh, and I'm just going to read a portion of the quote where he was responding to both the Hurricanes, what they've been doing, and to Don Cherry's response to it as well. He said, quote, I happened to talk to some of the players this morning about it, and we had a fun conversation. The players enjoy doing it. That's important. The fans enjoy seeing it. To me, that's the most important element as to what goes on after a game when there's a win. I consider Don Cherry a friend, and I respect him, but we can agree to disagree on certain things. The fact is, how fan bases connect with our game evolves over time. What might work in an original six city might not work in a city or market that's newer to the game. Think back to the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim on opening night and Wildwing propelling from the rafters. Heck yeah. (laughs) People said, oh my, how could you do that? Think about Nashville with the chants and rituals they have and involving country music. That's different. Think about what goes on now in Vegas. What each team does to connect with its fans is going to be tailored for their fans and their market. As long as the people involved are feeling good about it, then who's to complain? End quote. And when I said the portion of the quote, I got carried away because I I love that whole quote. Like, you can tell right there, and I know everyone hates Batman. That's like, you know, the law. We have to. And officially, yeah, I hate Batman too, totally. Um, But by reading that quote, you can just hear how he gets it what he understands about hockey and it's fun and what all sports are supposed to be fun entertainment and they're doing a heck of a job and it's not at anyone's expense they're not you know taking the team's flag that they just beat and burning it or anything like (laughs) that don't give many ideas now (laughs) like it's not at anyone's expense they're just having fun and celebrating i think it's awesome i think more of hockey and more of sports should be more like this don cherry i think is 
you know, past the point where he's relevant at this point, and it's it's sad to see. So you're saying the Oilers will probably hire him for GM at some point. You know what? It, I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah, I totally agree with you on all of those comments, even Gary Bettman being right. That was a pretty good quote. I hadn't heard that. And I also really love that Carolina, when they uh, ended their game, right after the Don Cherry comments, they won a game and they came out onto the ice and displayed on the ice. They had a light show that said bunch of jerks on the ice. They're embracing it. It's awesome. I hope our teams pick up something like that because it's super cool. I mean, the Flames had their fun little thing where uh, Gaudreau, Monaghan, and Lindholm share purple Gatorade when they score a goal. Obviously much smaller scale, but I think that we're seeing the personality of hockey players, the tiny, minuscule, interesting personality that hockey players have finally coming to light. Yeah. And it's great. And not even Don Cherry can shut him down. He's basically just fueling the fire at this point, And it's yeah, awesome. They've uh, created a bunch of jerks t-shirts and they sold out within minutes <laughs> and uh yeah that's that's just going wild it's awesome to see i would contemplate buying one and i am in no way a carolina yeah, fan same yeah so uh, awesome yeah having them beat us in the cup final in 06 still hasn't prevented me from loving all of this <laughs> so good and now it's time for the news. Sam Gagne has finally ended his five-year slump of not scoring for the Oilers. And that was the news. All right, so now it's time for us to predict how well our teams are going to do over the next month or so. So let's take it to the end of March, including today's game for the Flames. Uh, the game for the Oilers has already passed. They beat Columbus 4 nothing. believe it or not. Big shocker. 15 games left for the Flames up until the end of March. How many of those do you think they're going to win? This month... They have a lot more home games, and a lot of their games are against uh, division opponents because they actually haven't played that much against, like, L.A. and Vegas, Anaheim, those teams. So they all have a lot of games against them. I've predicted them to go 12-3. and three. They've been performing extremely well at home, and the Pacific Division, which they lead, hasn't been very strong this year overall. So I think the Flames will settle in at home and beat up on a lot of teams. Interesting. I pretty much saw things the same way as you did. Uh, in fact, identically so, because I also said they were going to win 12 <laughs> of their next 15 games, which means we need to put a tiebreaker in place. We do. So how many of those three losses do you think will be overtime losses? The Flames are incapable of winning in overtime and shootouts this year. So I'll say they lose all three in overtime or a shootout. Okay, so they're good at getting to overtime. Yeah, they're, they're not really going to lose good. any in regulation. Nope. They're gonna once get, they get there, they're going to lose them all. They're going to have points in all 15 games. All right. Yeah, bold prediction. Stole it from you. You were totally going to do that, weren't you? Sure. Instead, I'm going to say zero overtime <laughs> losses. <laughs> if they're like they're not going to lose that many games and obviously we said 3 out of 15 they're going to lose. But if they do lose them, I think they're just going to be like, "You know what? We can lose it." And they'll just kind of let it go, you know. They they don't need to fight for every point, so I don't see them as 
kind of scrapping for that last minute goal in order to get into overtime and then lose it from there sort of thing so fine that's my logic fine. you're gonna look like a fool when they lose all those three games in a shootout <laughs> yes i am <laughs> yes i am all right how about the oilers they've got 13 games till the end of march as usual they have a fairly similar schedule as the flames uh law divisional opponents a couple uh non-divisional but coming here so not huge road trips or anything like that out east but oilers still be oilers in (laughs) so i don't think they're going to do too well with these games i think they're going to win five out of the 13 no and based on darren's reaction (laughs) that's exactly come on man Maybe we should start talking about our predictions before we record a podcast. No, this is so much better this way. <laughs> yeah, I picked five and eight as well. A lot of home games. I don't even know if they do well at home. All right, so I guess we need a tiebreaker for the Oilers' predictions as well. Uh-huh. Uh, they're going to lose eight. Yeah, luckily we have more losses to choose from. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say three. Okay. Um, I'm going to say they get one overtime loss. And they just lose the rest super hard in regulation because they're the Oilers. Yeah. Although I wouldn't be surprised if, because it's the last full month of the season, the Oilers are going to be like, oh, yeah, that playoffs thing we've always wanted to go to. Let's try <laughs> for that. And so they will, like, really push and get a lot of late third-period goals, maybe the occasional point in overtime, and then, you know, come within a few points but never actually get there because that's how the Oilers roll. And then win the draft lottery. Well, sure, yeah. Yeah. That's just given... All right, and that's been the show for this month. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, We're actually a real podcast now. You can find us anywhere on your favorite podcast apps, or you can visit www.thebattleofalbertapodcast.com where you'll find links to send you to a podcast app that you can access with whatever phone you have. So hit us up. Again, on www.thebattleofalbertapodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. I've been Darren Plett, along with Stuart Jones. Once again, our theme song is Lose Your Head by Apache Tomcat. Hail Zebulon! Zebulon!